This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. I'm so excited for today's episode on The Comeback. I'm here with Slate and his son, Clay, and they have an incredible story. It's very near and dear to me because of um, the similarities, the things that I had to walk out with my own dad, and hopefully I will have him on the podcast one day sharing our story. But, you know, I've said this so many times as an intro to this podcast, and I, I think about, you know, when you're, when you're doing this kind of ministry, what normally has your attention are the fires, you know, whether it's the intervention, whether it's somebody that's struggling, and if you're not careful, you know, you can look up and just think, you know, what what are we doing? You know, does does this even does it does it really even matter? Oftentimes, what's not getting your attention are the miracles that are happening. Like those aren't the ones that come to the administrator's desk. That's not the ones that you know that you're having to to deal with because you know, they're over there and they're having this incredible encounter with God and they're growing, but that's not what typically gets on your radar unless we are very intentional, you know, about, you know, looking at those stories and saying, you know what, I'm going to pause today. Yeah, the fires and all that stuff is there, but I want to hear from the ones who have had the encounter, you know, where God is doing that work. And I want to highlight those stories because so many people are going to be listening to this and they're just wondering, you know, I mean, I think about, you know the clients and those that are struggling addiction that are that are listening and say, "Man, is is there any any hope? You know, can can you really overcome meth addiction?" And then I think about the parents, you know, who are on the front end of this journey. And we've talked about this: is that the front part of the comeback story is not the coolest chapter of your life. Typically, you know, that's that's whenever you know, all your friends really don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, you know, family or thinking, man, I had this this dream for my son or I had this dream for my daughter and, you know, they've just been through so much. Like, are they just kind of destined to be this second-class citizen? And I just kind of, you know, what God's plan was for them originally and now it's going, they're going to be this subpar and it's really not there. And, you know, and I think sometimes that, you know, it's easy to give like the big faith language, but but do we really believe that this God can crash into our lives and actually make it better on the other side of this than, than we could ever imagine? You know, y'all were talking about Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is that works in us. And and that's just the reality of it. You know, and we hinder those things that would would, would remove those things that would, would hinder him from moving. And, and he is going to do exceedingly and abundantly because that that is the supreme truth over whatever we might be seeing. So I am honored to have y'all here today. And Clay, if it is cool with you, I'm just going to kick it to you, man. I'd just love to hear from, from your perspective what happened. Awesome. Thanks, Trey. I love Ephesians 3.22. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's become a life verse for me, and I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, manifest in my own life and i think a huge part of it is all that we ask or think you know there's some action to it um and so growing up you know i grew up in a we grew up in a baptist church and you know i heard all the stuff i heard all the jesus and we believe and stuff like that but i never saw the action behind it you know i never saw god manifesting anywhere um you know it was go to church on sunday and then go eat lunch and then back to it back to the day into next week, you know? And so and I'm not, um, so that's, that was, that was my experience growing up. Um, 
you know, we went, we were regular. We went Sundays. We went on Wednesdays. By the way, I guess I should say where I'm from, but from Hart County, Georgia, small town. Um, I'm 25 years old. I actually have a birthday this Friday. Come on. Yeah. So we're pretty close in birthdays, I think. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, And just to see where I'm at today compared to five years ago, it's crazy. Um, But anyways, yeah, I grew up in a small town, went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. I was really, we were really involved in church. We we attended frequently, um, consistently. Uh, I attended youth until about the age of 16 when I could get a car and have some freedom. When I had freedom, I decided there was other things that I wanted to occupy my time with. Um, hanging out with friends, girls, partying, that kind of thing. Started off small, you know, just innocent enough, you know, smoking pot. Every now and then, you know, drinking a few beers, no big deal, whatever. Um, kind of went through high school like that. Just kind of took my – I never really had – drive i was smart enough you know i did good in class never had to try um did fine on the sat got into the school i wanted to go to uga never had to put any effort in in high school at all zero um and i don't know man it's just i look back a lot at those times in high school and there was always something missing i didn't know what it was i do now i know it's holy spirit now um but then i had no clue and i was I would fill it, you know, with a girlfriend, and she would dump me, and ups and downs, and I would go to friends and fill it with weed and partying and all that, and so there's always this void there, and that trans that transitions to transition to when I when I got into UGA when I when I when I decided to go to Athens because it was never about um, the university in itself. I made it act, I made it sound like it was. But really, it was just about getting out of small town Hartwell, getting away from my parents, and you know, finally getting to do my own thing in Athens. You know, I loved, I loved the thought of nightlife and you know, just everything that came with it. You know, I I truly thought that is where I would find myself. What I had been missing this whole time, I truly thought I would find it in Athens, in this in this lifestyle, in the bars, in the in the in the neon lights and all that, and the music. And I was willing to give up anything for that because I thought that's where my destiny lied and so I did I go to Athens um and quickly um discover that I and quickly I'm I'm sacrificing you know invest in uh time and energy that my parents have put into me you know money my intelligence my uh not really my intelligence but my commitment to school it went down the drain and I swapped that for cocaine and uh beers and hanging out with friends uh drinking liquor um just staying up all night partying and so that like i said i sacrificed everything up to that point for that because i thought it was worth it i thought that's where i would find myself um and so coming back my uh my parents were paying for my school at the time um and they found out that I was that I was doing these things. I was doing cocaine, and I'm sure it shocked them. I know it did. Uh, we didn't know what cocaine was in Hartwell, as far as I know. I never heard of it or anything like that. Never been around it anything before. I'd heard the name, but mostly in movies and stuff. So that was kind of a shocker. Um, 
I do that. They find out I'm doing that. My grades are plummeting. So they withdraw me from school and I come back to live in their house, which was basically a death sentence for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, we really just had a lot of, it was just a lot of hatred for each other, especially on my end. I feel like, you know, I just had a lot of resentment. You know, I felt like I'd been sheltered my whole life and I was just looking for something like some kind of adventure anything you know i'd come to find out that i had breaking rules was fun you know and to me religion was rules so obviously i had nothing to do with that but i always found excitement or uh a rush and breaking rules and doing things i knew i shouldn't be doing and stuff like that so coming back to hartwell of course i'm gonna bring that with me and they try to to me it seemed like they tried to enforce more and i tried to break away more and so it just it gets to a tipping point. Um, at this time, I, my timelines get screwed, uh, a little screwed up. But I know at some point when I was back in Hartwell, like I said, there's not really cocaine in Hartwell, but what we do have is, ab- is an abundance of methamphetamine, you know, similar rush and all that. So, like I said, I mean, I, I'd seen the dare people come to come to uh, the schools and show the bugs and all that. But the people I saw doing meth didn't have the bugs and they weren't scratching their skin. They seemed kind of normal to me, as funny as that is. But so I just thought, you know, this whole thing, you know, it's just another thing to keep you from having fun. You know, something I want to try. So, of course, I try it. Um, And I love it. And my friends love it. And we start doing that. I mean, we would just stay up for days, you know, just – hearing things, paranoid, you know, just any anything you hear at the doors, the police are coming and just wild, wild stuff. I don't even, I don't know, it's crazy. But I do, I mean, I do that for, I don't know how long I was doing it, honestly. I mean, I'd say at least six months. Um, just run away, running away from home, always sneaking out, always doing that, always a cycle, always arguments, hatred, you know. I think we got in fist fights at some point and – just consistently staying like that, Def- there's no hope at all. You know, my only hope was to run away. That's all I knew was to run away, was to get out from where I'm at and just get away from everybody or go to the thing that I, that I knew would – go to the thing that – the controlled substance that I knew was consistently, the feeling that I would get from it consistently. I would always run back to it every time because I couldn't face emotions. I couldn't face confrontation. I couldn't face life at all. This was the only way I could face life that I knew. Um so that's what I always go go to do. Um, and that goes on, like I said, six months. Uh, I get arrested a few times in the process. Um, I was downtown Athens one time. I remember I just went, ran away from house from my parents' house. And we go to Athens, and I just want to get screwed up. So that's, that was our whole mission on the way down there for some reason was get blackout. So we go to this dude's apartment. Uh, I take a Xanax bar and drink a beer. Knock out. Don't remember a thing. Wake up in a jail cell sleeping on my buddy's orange crock. And he was sleeping on a toilet paper roll. Didn't, still to this day, don't have a clue. Don't have a single memory about any of it. Apparently, you know, I got into an altercation with a police officer, spit in his face or something like that. Um, There's a fight going on. I don't know if I was involved with it or not, but I had a felony charge for uh, assault on a police officer, which is not what you want, and some other misdemeanors. Um, I didn't call my parents because... I just ran away from home, you know, so they found out though. I don't know. I'm sure. I don't know how they found out exactly, but, uh, I go to the, I stay in jail and the judge gives me, um, he lets me go on bond. They drop, no, they dropped the felony to a misdemeanor for some reason. I, 
don't have a clue why. I guess they felt sorry for me. But that got dropped before I left, and they let me bond out, and then I ended up on probation for that. That was probably the worst. And then I got arrested at some parties, various parties. Um, but for So I'm on probation, basically is my point. And then I go back to Hartwell. And, you know, probation got past drug tests. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. So I smoke weed. Me and my buddies. I mean, we never got drug tested for probation. I was on two of them. Never got drug tested. So we we're like, yeah, we got this in the bag. You know, every time that time of the month, that time that time of the month would roll around, it's like I start getting worried about man, I'm gonna go in there and pee dirty. I hope they don't drug test us, and they never did for some reason. Probation officers need they need to tighten up. <laughs> but. Um, eventually that catches up to me you know the one in Athens they they uh they finally drug test me and me and daddy rode up there and I was real scared after I took it because I knew I failed and I remember we got in an argument in the car we pulled over at Athens Tech and started arguing about it and just all the tension and emotions and all that come out and you know we're screaming crying I'm crying I don't know if daddy is or not but anyways they've been trying to get me to go to a rehab for months and I was never addicted so I didn't want to go you know I didn't have a drug problem I didn't want to go just wanted to have fun every now and then but anyways at this point I had some uh, motivation to go you could say so that day we pack up and we go to a place in Helen and I stay there for nine months um it was not faith-based at all you know, it was 12-step, and people's higher power was trees and doorknobs and things like that. So, which I needed for in my time in my life because I didn't believe in Jesus. I'd heard it my whole life. I didn't believe in any of that. I thought it was a fairy tale. You know, I thought I was smarter than everybody else, too. Um, but, so, you know, in this place, I'm kind of more free to— In small-town Hartwell, it's kind of—nobody really— Everybody believes in God, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, even though they don't, they don't live like it or act like it, everybody believes in him. So you don't want to be the guy that comes out and just says, I don't believe in God, because then you have a target on your back almost. It's, it's easier to put the mask on, I guess. So here I'm kind of more I'm free to take the mask off and say and express my doubts and disbelief, and people are ready to hear it. So um, I kind of feel comfortable with not believing in God at that place. Um, and I do good in the program. Uh, I have a job. Like I said, I mean, I had good friends, you know, we were, me and my buddy, we were kind of like the poster child of the place because all these guys were, you know, shooting needles and heroin and all that kind of stuff. Um, but me and him, we were kind of normal. We were younger, you know, hadn't really, hadn't really, uh, got to the needle yet, I guess. Cause I heard that's game changer when that happens. Um, but yeah, I stay there for nine months. Uh, graduate the program, um, and then I go back. I want to go back to Athens. I'm still not. I still got that void, you know. Even though I'm doing good, I got money in my pocket. I bought a car with cash. You know, things are looking up. You know, I'm act I'm actually starting to figure this life thing out, and you know, play by its rules for once, kind of. Um, so, anyways, I think I'm good, and I want to go back to Athens, go back to school, and kind of prove all my haters wrong, which I didn't really have any. It was just myself, I guess, looking back now. But prove everybody wrong that I could do this, uh, do this thing on myself. So, we go back to my apartment. Uh, me and my roommate in rehab, we get an apartment in Athens that I couldn't afford, didn't think about it. And, you know, my plan was to go to Athens and uh, get a job, and going there, I had the mindset of, I'm not going back to what I used to be. You know, I'm changed now. I'm not going to start doing drugs. And immediately, as soon as I get there, I'm smoking pot, popping pills. I'll pull my car for cash and spend all that money to buy pills 
because I couldn't get a job, so I thought I'd sell them, but I ended up taking most of them, I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't make any money. Lost my car. But it was a good plan to start with. I had, I was high for a while, so, yeah, right back to it. I remember, yeah, and I, getting out of rehab, I should have been off my Athens probation. This is the same probation. I should have been off of it, but I didn't uh, – I didn't get the certificate from the program to transfer to my rehab, So, I mean, to the probation officer. So I have to go see her one more time. Like I said, I've already been smoking weed and doing all this stuff. So I walk in hoping she ain't going to drug test me. Same old, same person, same. She saw me before I went to rehab, same thing. So I remember I walk in, and she's like, all right, we talk and all that, and tell her how I'm doing. She's like, okay, I'm going to give you a drug test. You ready? And then I had all this planned out, man. I had a white chip, a white AA chip and all that, and I was like, Miss Manders, I'm sorry. It's just I've just now gotten out of rehab and I'm trying to readjust to life and I slipped up, you know. But here's my white ship. I'm going back in the program and I'm gonna try better. And I remember she looked at me dead in my eye. She said, "I don't care if you brought an entire bucket of white chips. If you don't pass that drug test, you're going to jail." I was like, "I guess I'm going to jail then." Like immediately, as soon as I get back out of rehab, I'm right back in jail. But it's crazy, crazy. Um, so. I get back to Athens and things, you know, I thought I had life by the tail, but turns out it's the other way around. My life's falling apart quickly. You know, I, even after I get out of jail again for that same time, I'm, and knowing the judge looked at me and said, Mr. Balknight, we're going to let you out and give you one more chance. Don't mess it up. I say, yes, sir, and I walk out. Same day I go back to my apartment, I'm smoking weed again. It's insanity, literally insanity. But it's so crazy so my life's falling apart and i'm doing nothing proactive to stop it you know i'm letting it crumble around me um at this point this back to hopelessness back to despair back to embarrassment like all these all these emotions are floating around there's no hope i'm more depressed now than i ever was you know i would sit in my room and just not come out for it's uh, probably days like it's it's hard to it's hard to keep time track of time during when all that's happening um so this is when you know things start to break, um, things start to break open. And there's God's, he'd been doing work in my life. I see it now up until this point. And this is when it starts to, uh, take shape, I guess. Um, so I, like I said, life's crumbling. Everything's ruined school. It's out the window. I mean, I didn't even take out loans to pay for it. So I was going to class and they were, didn't, couldn't even pay for it. So I was just wasting my time. <clears throat> the day comes to pay for class, and I don't have the money. So I was like, well, I need to stay in school. So I go home and talk to mom and daddy, and I hadn't talked to them in months, at least one or two months. And, you know, I feed them this story of, you know, I'm doing good in school, and, you know, I really want to be here, and everything's going great. And I guess they believed it. I don't know. I asked them for money, and they said they give it to me. So I guess they believed me. But they gave me this other option um, to go to Haiti for three months or it wasn't even time just go to haiti just get out of here and go to haiti instead of going back to athens and i know i hadn't said anything about haiti up to this point um but i had been twice before on mission trips and there's a whole story there but anyways um i thought that was insane i was like no i'm going back to athens i like i like my chaotic life i got going on up there it's at least i know what's I didn't like I didn't like it at all, but I did. That's where I wanted to go back. So that day I had to pay for it, and I drove back to class. And I remember sitting in class, and then just being overcome with this thought that I couldn't answer. And the thought was, "What are you doing here?" You know, I don't even know where it came from. I do now, Holy Spirit. But at the time, I had no clue. You know, and I, I just 
I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I just get up in the middle of class and just walk out. And then I text mama and I say, hey, I changed my mind about school. I want to go to Haiti. And so that's kind of like me me actually making a good decision for once in my life, which at the time didn't I didn't know what I was doing. I just I knew, I was following something that wasn't my own will, I guess you could say, um, in a way, even though I didn't know it. Um, so time goes by. We go to Haiti. I lose the car for my – I pawned it, like I said, for the Xanax. Lose it. Couldn't pay it back. It's fine. Um, lose the school. Lose everything. Go back home. And like I said, man, it's just embarrassing. You know, I felt defeated. I felt um, second tier, like you said, for sure. Like nothing's ever going to break. Um, and then the time comes, and this – then, then the time comes where I go to Haiti, and there I'm staying with my our our great he's my brother my our great friend Ezra's Ezra's Malme in Haiti, um, and just living there, man, it just I don't know how to describe it. I mean, we're in a room; it's probably eight by twelve, you know, feet square feet. I don't know what square footage is off the top of my head, but anyways, it's concrete blocks, um, no no air conditioning, no power, no running water. Uh, nothing um, and just staying there and living with Esdras and all the Haitians uh, Baptist Zelor there's I mean just so many just being a part of that life and just seeing their their genuine understanding and love for God and for each other and their happiness you know I, like I said we have been twice before and that's something that always haunted me you know to go down there and see how genuinely happy they were and then knowing my chaotic mess of a depressed life in America and yet we have everything around us you know we have we have everything around us and uh I couldn't understand it and then going down there and just being a part of it really opened my eyes and I mean I would see these people uh flat on the ground face down on the ground just worshiping God you know things I'd never seen before never um, and this was genuine, like this was real. These people, these people know, they knew what God was. It wasn't like this religious game that a lot of people play up here. You know, there wasn't any mask involved. This is life or death for a lot of these people down there. So just being exposed to that. And um, I remember I was reading a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And like I said, I thought I was smarter than everybody, but C.S. Lewis quickly quickly humbled me and showed me I'm not as smart as I thought I was. But he, he, he painted a picture and... Uh, throughout his book of something I couldn't deny that God's real, basically. And I, for the first time, I saw, I saw God in my, in that moment, I saw, I, that's when I started believing God, I guess. That's when I, that's when I had a, a, a uh, an experience with, uh, with, with God, my encounter with God. Um, just showing how, just showed me how real he was, how real his love was. And I could see it in my life in that moment, you know, through all the steps that led up to this process, you know, I could see his, his hand in my life. And so that's when I, that's when I, that's when I had the encounter. Um, and so I stay in Haiti for three months and we do some awesome stuff down there. We have a great time. Um, start reading my Bible. You know, I, I feel, I know I have a transformed life and I, I'm looking forward to coming back to America and sharing that with my friends and all that. Um, I come back, to America, and like I said, I want to share this new life and all that. Um, but I don't really, uh, I don't know how a Christian man is supposed to look. I have no clue. Um, 
I'd seen it my whole life, but I knew I wasn't like these people that go to church. Um, and not not that church is wrong. I love church now, but I, I, I wasn't I couldn't relate to these people that I'd grew up, grown up with my whole life and been around. So I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know a model. I didn't know what it was. Um, and I'm going and speaking at churches too because man, I mean, before I went to Haiti, I was a drug addict flat out drug addict and three months later I come back and now all of a sudden I'm reformed missionary child speaking at churches and stuff so for me it's just like complete 180 identity swap which is awesome I didn't know how to handle it I wish I would have now but I didn't know how to handle that that flip all of a sudden you know to me it's just like that's where my identity was um my identity always been in outcast you know black sheep misfit rebel fill in the blank and then now all of a sudden I'm supposed to be speaker at churches you know I had no clue what to do and so but I go to churches and I speak and I tell my story about what happened because it was powerful and it was true and it was impactful but yet like I said when I try to tell my friends it's just like man I don't want to seem I go to them and I was like man I don't want to seem like more holy than thou or anything like that it's like man I'm still one of y'all so you know go back and you know I'd smoke a joint with them and drink some beers and all that just to prove that or to prove to myself it's just like you can do this and still be Christian too man um and so that went on for months of just the going to churches and being this and then behind closed doors doing this. And although it wasn't like I wasn't doing meth or anything anymore, but still, like, I knew what I was doing was I didn't know what I was doing at all, actually. Um, so this goes on for months. And I just, like I said, no model, no just doing my own thing, just trying to get by. Um, and so. God intervenes again in my life, thankfully, um, because I'm carrying so much weight of guilt and shame. You know, it's just like I go to, like when I'm by myself and I knew the actions that I was doing was wrong, I would go to God and be like, please forgive me. I promise I won't do it again. You know, but I felt like he got tired of hearing that 15, 20 times, you know, of I'm going to, I promise I'm going to clean my act up. And then I go out and do the same thing because I, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I couldn't escape it. So, um, carrying all this weight and like I said, God, he's, he intervenes again in my life. Um, so we were in Haiti again, uh, mom and daddy and me and my sister were there for her spring break. She was in college. Um, and so she has to come back. She's only got a week off. So she and I come back earlier. Mom and daddy stay there for an extra week. doesn't really matter. I drop her off in, uh, Dahlonega and then I come back to my parents' house and we had just sold our house. They had, we had just sold the house that we grew up in, and we had just recently moved into a lot smaller house, um, still in the same county. Um, but I was there by myself. Um, during that time, during that during that time when I was there by myself, the, like I said, I was carrying this weight. Well, it came crashing down on me in this in this instance, and I couldn't do anything at all to escape these thoughts. These guilt and shameful thoughts that had been that I'd been carrying they just kept bombarding me I couldn't I couldn't go and smoke weed and escape my mind I couldn't drink and escape my mind I couldn't I used to play Xbox a ton I couldn't even do that without constantly thinking about these things uh it was it was awful it was warfare and so I I had to actually face something face face my choices that I had made and so every time I would when I was in this state, when I was in this place, you know, a, a situation would come up and I would just look at my, 
you know, it'd be like, why did you do this? You know, I would, I would ask myself, why did you do this? Be like, I don't know. I'm an idiot. How could I do that? Like, that's so stupid. How could you even think about doing that? And so this went on for, I mean, just different scenarios would come up in my head and, you know, every, the response is always the same. It's like, you're so dumb. Like you're an idiot. And it got to the point where I was looking myself in, in the mirror and just dead, dead in my eye and just repeating like, I hate you. I hate myself. I hate everything about you. This is after I was saved. And the reason all this was happening is because I thought God was done with me. I thought he had given me this chance, given me this opportunity, and I had completely blown it. You know, I had made a fool of his name. You know, uh, people were going to find out how fake I was, and I'm going to be a joke, a laughing stock. You know, I had, um, I had thrown every blessing he'd given me in the mud. You know, I'd spit on his name, essentially, is what I'd... And, you know, it made sense to me because that's what I had done. I, I was living a hypocritical life, you know. Um, motives and intentions aside, like, that's what it was, just actions. You know, if a judge was looking at it, that's what he'd say, you're guilty, 100%. So, for me, I was like, I believed it fully. I believed God was done with me. I believed my life was over um, in that moment. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hit the ground, and I'm screaming and crying, man, and, you know, anguish. And it, it was it hurt. And, uh in that moment it's just like if you can imagine like a storm like blowing around like a tornado it's like all of a sudden like the clouds clear and like the birds are chirping and a uh, flower pops out of the ground and it's just like everything's good and this peace comes over me but uh what brought the peace the reason that peace was came over me is because this thought entered my mind and the thought was to go get a gun from my dad's gun safe and put it in my mouth and end everything you know that's what i wanted to do at that time it just felt so right to me. <clears throat> so I wake up out of my, or I get up out of my, out of the storm and I walk over to his gun safe and I put the combination in. Mind you, I said we had just moved uh, houses. I put his combination in and it doesn't open. I thought that was weird. And I put it in again, double check myself, it doesn't open. And then one more time I put it in and it still doesn't open. So I'm thinking, I guess he changed the combination on it um, and didn't put a gun in my mouth that day um, and didn't think about that day really until months later down the road. Didn't think about that 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 specific until months later down the road when, again, guess where I'm at in Haiti. Um, and so God wakes me up while I'm in Haiti. This is probably six months later. And um, I'm just thinking, just talking to God, you know, not really audibly, but believers know what I'm saying. Um, so he, he, I'm just thanking him that I, I, he's, he's still allowing me to be alive, really, you know, to still go out and be in Haiti and be a part of what he's doing and, you know, still using me, for lack of a better term. And so just in a, in a, in a grateful posture, I guess, when I'm talking to God and he, he puts that, uh, replays that whole scenario I just laid out with the gun safe and all that. And at the end of it, after I finish replaying it in my mind, you know, the, the words pop or the voice in my head says, or he says, I kept that gun safe shut from you. And so I, as soon as I heard that, immediately I knew it was true, and I just start crying because I I knew it was true, and I hadn't thought I thought like I said I thought the gun safe had just been the combination had been changed, 
so I called daddy the next day and you know, I'm in Haiti, he's in America. And I was like, Hey, we're questioned, but has you, have you ever changed the combination on your gun safe? And he said, he kind of freaked out at first. And I was, and then he's like, no, I hadn't, but I told him the whole story. And then I believe we cried together about that. But, um, you know, and it's funny cause it's, I mean, it's his birthday. Hope nobody breaks in the house or anything. So I know I didn't get it wrong. And you know, he had never, he had never changed. Like even when I was on meth and like all this stuff, like the combination never changed. I just thought it was changed because we moved houses. But I mean, it's just, it's just for me, it's, it's, it's a, it's something that will never go away from me. God's grace in that moment. That's, that's what it was just God's grace because I didn't get what I deserved because I knew what I deserved. I deserved death in that moment. You know, it was, what, the things I was doing were not good at all. They were not, not good. And um, God spoke a better word, I guess. You know, He gave me a better judgment. He gave me grace. Uh, he gives everybody. He gives everybody grace. And for me, it's just something like after that moment, man. Like I've I've just been on fire ever since. I guess you could say. You know, it's just like and he's he's worked so many things together in my life. Um, for my good and that's just what he does and um i don't know i've never not been without hope now i've never not been without faith i've never not been without um just without a whole different outlook on life i guess after that moment it was i mean it was definitely life-changing but i think what's funny is in the moment i didn't realize how life-changing it was until you know after you go back and god reveals what he actually did for you. And I feel like everybody has, um, I feel like every person has God intervening in their lives some way or another. Maybe it's not as dramatic as some other people, but he's, he's always doing something. It's just, did you see it? You know, did you catch it? So good, man. I just think about, you know, just that place of, you know, when you're in the mirror and just, you're just, just relentless in, you just, you feel like a piece of trash. Yeah. And, and if you believe that about yourself, then, you know, you're typically going to act like that mm -hmm. and just the freedom that comes. And, and cause I just know how powerful it is because when we're out there, it's just, you know, I can only assume like what's in the, in the mind of the enemy that if he can engineer, you know, enough circumstances, you know, through the meth addiction or through living a double life or what, whatever is, is, is going on that gets us to reinforce, you know, how, he just wants us to believe the lie that we're trash mm -hmm. and that there's no hope for us, Definitely. you know, and then take us all the way to the point to where, you know, you're going to the gun safe and literally the, the option or the solution that you've come up with when you've got, you know, two parents that love you, you know, you've heard the gospel, you know, and this is what I think just kind of, you know, breaks that that whole stigma, you know, like you're not you know, the kid that was raised in, you know, inner city wherever with no parents and had this horrible childhood, but yet the enemy still, you know, through the drugs, through the choices or whatever, was able to get to you to bring you all the way to that place. And, you know, I just think how many people are listening right now that are just, you know, like that that is what they are saying to themselves, but God... And I just love how creative he was, yeah. you know, in, in your story of, you know, you, you know, you go to treatment and, you know, and again, you just kind of wish like, yeah, I wish I would have got the diploma and I never would have used again and God would have encountered me. But, 
You know, you end up in Haiti, Mm -hmm. you know, of watching these people who are just the real deal live this thing out and how merciful God is that even in, you know, I mean, it's that whole thing of like, you know, a little, a toddler learning how to walk, you know, and I've got them and, you know, you're not just, you're you're not all over the one-year-old, like, why the heck can't you walk? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I mean, we've already practiced this twice. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. In the same way, like the father shepherds you in this and then brings you into this revelation that you are loved and the life that he has for you is going to be exceedingly abundantly better than you can hope or imagine. Um, you know, what's kind of cool about this is, is that I really want to break this up into, I think into two episodes now and, you know, hearing from your perspective and, you know, the story of redemption, um, and to be able to celebrate that. And then next week, to be able to hear from your dad and through through his lens and what it was like, you know, to watch his son, you know, get to this spot. But um, I just want to say thank you so much yeah, for, uh, for being here, man. And I want to, yeah. I know there's so much more in you and I just, I want to, you know, just hear so much more, just, you know, revelation that you've got, how God is, yeah. is using you in ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, t- talk a little bit about that right now. Like what, what's, what's life like today? Yeah, so life like today is I'm a youth leader somehow. I uh, never imagined that. Um, like full time? Uh, no, it's. Uh, I still I work for my dad, land oh, surveying, wow. but I do I do youth ministry on Wednesday nights, so kind of double double job. But um, yeah, I'm 25. Like I said, I got a birthday coming up, and I'm about to get married in March. Come on, I know it's crazy, crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy. Never imagined it. Like never thought it'd happen. Honestly, can't believe it. Um, so that's exciting. My fiance's name is Rihanna, and she helps with youth also. It's just been such a blessing that, I mean, God's just, he's so good. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. Where'd y'all meet? Where? Yeah. So we actually went to high school together. She's a year younger than I am, but we never spoke a word in high school, never talked to each other at all. And then um, she she's had her own journey of discovering God's goodness and his realness, too. And so she kind of went down her path. I went down mine, and... God intervened in both of our lives wow. and kind of showed how real he was. And now he, he kind of got brought back together. You know, we, we talked on Facebook. You know, yeah. she messaged me actually this time last year for my birthday. And I've been, you know, liking her photos on Facebook and <laughs> showing all my buddies. Like, y'all think I should message her? And never could bring up the confidence to do it. And then she sent me happy birthday this, like on the 29th last year. And I was, I was like, okay, open door, got to do it. So I texted her on Facebook and, you know, just kind of told her I thought she looked great and uh, I thought her personality looked great too through pictures. I can't remember what all I said, but it was enough to get her to go on a date with me or at least start talking to me. we got to find those messages. Yeah, she, I'm sure she's got them. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a lesson in there. But uh, So, yeah, we, uh, we go on a date and then this was last year and now we're getting married in March. So kind of. You know, we're ready, excited. Just I'm closing on a house tomorrow. What? I know. Bro. Wild, 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 wild stuff. That's you know, amazing. It's crazy. Um, do you think I, about that? Yeah, back in school. Back in school, doing Meth well. Addiction. Yeah. Jesus, marriage, house. Right he, here, coming in 26 years old. God's promises are real, man. Amen. You know, it's, they're just they're real, and there's there's nothing you can do about it. You know, other than hold on to truth and allow it to manifest in your life. I mean, he's he's waiting to do it. You know, he's he's created all of us for 
love and you know purpose and destiny and you know i used to think purpose and destiny in a way of you know he's got this one thing that i'm supposed to do for my life and i've got to strive and figure out what that thing is you know career or anything but revelation i'm getting now and learning more and this is what i want to share with you know people my age and younger and struggling with addiction is like the the destiny and the purpose isn't isn't a obtainable thing but it's it's really just rooted in partnership and relationship with god and just every day looks different you know when you're in partnership and relationship with the lord and that's the excitement of discovering that you know each and every day and days don't have to be mundane when when you're doing that and they won't be at all you know you're going to yeah it's, it, it truly is an adventure, you know, and it's, it's just learning what that looks like to, you know, be a son and, you know, to have a heavenly father and have a Holy Spirit living in you. Like, what does that even mean? But um, just 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 going on the journey and just being just being just being able to 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 live in that place, I guess. Um, but it's revelation. I don't really have it all pieced together in my head. I've just now actually started meditating on it and thinking, but I know that the journey is, is the purpose and the relationship is the purpose. Um, so all, all that's intertwined and I've definitely seen that, you know, I didn't go out and try to find a wife. I, I it just kind of happened. Um, God doing things, so yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, in ministry and youth ministry, you know, like I, pouring into these kids, you know, I'm trying to give them, I want to set them up for success, you know, because I never had anybody try to do that for me. I always had, you know, Bible stories read to me, and but what does it actually look like, you know, to have a relationship with Jesus? You know, I want somebody to model that, and that's what I, that's what she and I both do for these kids, and. You know, to try to get them to have goals and to have vision and dreams and, you know, understanding that God wants to fulfill these things and more. Ephesians 3.20, we've been, we've been reading that in there and holding on to it and chewing on it. Um, he wants to partner with us. You know, he doesn't want to use us as a tool. He wants to actually – he has ah, – there's just so much there, man. I just can't put my tongue on it yet, but I, I, it's, it's growing in me every day. But I know – I know that's the that's some revelation that's coming to me. So so good, man. Because I'm thinking about you know how many people right now that you know are on the front end of this, and kind of like we were talking about before we even started recording. You know, they're just thinking, okay, this has been my whole life. Like all I do is I drink beer and I go to the lake and I party and you know I live this immoral life and it used to be fun and now it's causing all these consequences. But still, you know, there's this whole concept of, like, God and, you know, wh- what does that look like? And it's this, literally this life sentence to, to boredom yeah. and following all those rules. And I think you expose so much of that. That's not what it's about at all. Like, it is about this journey and this partnership with mm-hmm. God. And there there is no m- mundane in that. Like, when you really get it... I mean, it doesn't mean that there's just, just you know, all, it always feels like, you know, the, the end of your favorite worship service, you know, when you're just getting lit up on a Sunday morning. But the reality is, it's like you're doing it with the Lord. Yeah. And that's what brings fulfillment, because that's what we were made to do and, like, why, why He created us. And we have bought the lie. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're these people that when we're meant to be filled, we're, meant, we're these radical people that will just, you know, do whatever. And when we buy the lie, you know, we, we chase the dope, and then now... 
you know, God's like, no, this is what it was really all about. And the way you've communicated that, told the story, like I know it's going to inspire and encourage so many people. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Trey. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, awesome. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.